Hello and welcome to the Journey to Eden podcast. My name is Jola. Today we'll be talking about the journey to healing after sexual abuse and I have a guest on the show today and she's going to be talking to us about her own experience, how she was raped in a car park and she's going to tell us how she was able to move from that horrific moment to today when she's healed and whole and sharing her story to strengthen others. Hello, Nkiru, and welcome to Journey to Eden podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you so much. I'm great. I'm doing Thank so well. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's, um, I don't take it for granted at all. I'm, I'm so inspired that you're brave enough to share this story and to help other people. Thank you so much. All right. So today we're talking about the journey to healing after sexual abuse. And this is something that you've gone through and, you know, I'm sure that nobody can imagine how traumatizing it is. Um, only those who actually been yeah. through it can understand. And that's why I think, you know, that's yeah. the importance of sharing this story because the people who have been through it know that you know exactly how they feel. So they're more likely to listen to you over anybody else. So, you know, that's yeah. why I say that this, you know, your decision to share your story is, is very important and, you know, it's quite laudable. So to go straight into it, um, can you just share your story with us? What happened? How did it happen? You know. Okay. Um, I usually like to give a bit of okay, a background ahead, um, into how all of this started. Um, I had been in a relationship and for about two years, and the relationship ended quite abruptly. Um, and the person went ahead two months after we broke up and got married to someone else. I was really heartbroken. And, you know, I just felt like this relationship thing or marriage thing is probably not for me. Let me just focus on my career, you know, and build the name for myself. Um, a few months down the line, um, I started going to work with a friend of mine who stays in the estate where I used to live then. And... At this time, my my auntie, who I used to stay with, used to encourage me because I felt I felt really, really, really broken, you know, when this happened. So I didn't used to talk to guys. I didn't like to get, you know, close to guys and all of that. My auntie used to tell me, oh, and Kirika, it's important for you to, you know, give people space to be around you. You have to heal from this thing and move on. But it was really hard. So one of those days I was going to, I was walking to the estate to get a taxi to go to work. And I saw this person who later became my friend. And he did ask to drop me off at VI where I used to work. And, you know, one ride led to the other, to the other, to the other. And, you know, we became friends. So um, I had just come out of a relationship pretty heartbroken. And then I'm going to work with this person. I realized one day that I couldn't um, get across to him. So I wasn't sure if he was going to work that morning or not. So I had to take a cab to work. And all through the ride to work, I felt so, you know, why didn't he call me? Why didn't he reach out to me if he wasn't going to work? You know, I felt quite entitled. And I was asking myself, Kiruka, what's going on? Why are you you vexing (laughs) on this matter? He doesn't really owe you anything. (laughs) You guys are friends and all. It was then that I realized that, oh, hold on, maybe I'm starting to like this guy, mm. you know. Um, I had to then retrace my steps. I started asking God, God, please help me. Oh, 
I can't come and like somebody now and I'm still healing from, you know, this whole heartbreak thing. And I was really scared, to be honest. I was just really scared to be vulnerable again, to trust um, someone again. And so I asked God to please help me. And I didn't hear anything. So I felt pretty much we were okay. So I, when he called me back, we mended with Sham, we moved on. So I asked him um, about himself. I started getting interested in knowing him. So it wasn't just taking me to work and bringing me back. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was more of we were getting close. We were talking about things. When he gets paid his salary, he would tell me how much it was. And he would ask for my advice, what to do with the money, all the people that he had to, you know, give money to, the investments he had to make. We were pretty close. You know, um, and then I found out that I still felt like there was a void between the mm-hmm. both of us. And then I, I spoke to God and I said, God, I can't be feeling this way when I think that I found someone who's supposed to be a great friend to me and all of that. Um, please, if there's anything else that is not, you know, being revealed, please just reveal it to me and just let me know what it is. You know, and before this time, I'd asked him if he was married, if he was in any relationship or anything, because I don't want another woman using me as a prayer <laughs> point. On, so I don't like to get involved. Yeah. You know, so I, all this time he said no, no, no to everything. Um, after I prayed that prayer, if there's anything hidden, please reveal it to me. God, then um, the next day he came to pick me up and he was so excited. I was, I was scared. Like, why are you excited? He said, oh my God, in Kiruka, you will not believe. I said, what? He said, my wife just had twins. <laughs> I said, your wife just had twins. He didn't realize, <laughs> he didn't realize what he said. And he said, oh no, 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 no. My friend, my friend, a very good friend of mine. His wife just had twins. He's been looking for, you know, children for a long time. So I'm like, oh, wow. Thank God. God is faithful. God is awesome. You know? So we started driving out of the estate. I've not gotten to up to maybe like one kilometer. The Holy Spirit just nudged me that, Kiruka, what did you pray about last night? I said, wait, hold on, hold on. His name is Tunde. I said, hold on. What what did you you tell me in the estate? He said that his his friend's wife had a baby. I said, no, but you first said your wife. He said, no, it was a mistake. He was really excited. They've waited for over 10 years, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) I said, okay, that, are you sure there's something that you're not telling me? He said, no, Jiruka, why are you like this? You said it again, no, all these, your principles, your values are always too much. You can't do this, you can't that, you can't that. No, he's, he's honest, he's being serious. I said, okay, no problem. I'd gotten to Agungi, and I can't forget that because as I got to Agungi, because um, I used to stay down um, Chevron, as I got to Agungi, I just said, no, please stop the car. He stopped the car and I came out. I said, you're not telling me the truth. What is it that you were supposed to say that he said, no, Kiruka, there's nothing. So I, I caused a sin that day. I was very, I was very, very sure that the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me something and I couldn't just shove it away. Um, and after about 15, 20 minutes of staying at that spot, he finally agreed and he said, yes, that." Um, it was his wife. Wow. And he didn't want to tell me because from the beginning, the first time he met me, I was very quick to say, oh, 
um, I don't talk to married men. I don't this. Like I gave him 20 things that I don't do and all. And he just felt like my, my principles and my values are too much. And if he didn't front as a single guy, it would have been hard. What does that even mean? Your principles and values me. are too much. <laughs> like I'm, I'm what like. What does that even mean? You don't even know me. I've not even said anything. I only just said I don't talk to married men. I don't give full hugs. I don't. So I mean, because I I protect myself. Which I'm is an the right thing to and do. I know that. Which is the right thing to do. Exactly. And um, because I'm very friendly with people, a lot of people read a lot of wrong messages to many things. I mean, I cannot now dull myself because I'm trying to explain to you that oh no. I'm not trying to give you any signs. No. So when I meet you, I just tell you down. So just in case you see anything, uncle, it's not what you think. <laughs> of. I'm a free spirited person. I'm a child of God. I love God. I love people. I love to make people happy and smile. So it's not, don't be thinking too many things. Yeah. So I always just lay that foundation whenever I meet any person. Um, and so he went on and on and he apologized and he was sorry. I said, oh, that, that is fine. That I'm just really grateful for this liberation, for this <laughs> deliverance, because only God could have done it. And at that point, I just took a yellow cab and continued my journey to work after he begged and said he was going to, um, you know, come back to my office and pick me. I banned him. I warned him. If he did that, I was going to cause a scene and make sure he got, he got arrested. Um, so I... I did tell his phone number and I told him to please not get in touch with me, not to talk to me. He has a family. He should focus on that and, you know, move on. Um, I was happy because well, I wasn't emotionally entangled at this point. So I could do away with him. I, I, I was going to walk myself with a taxi anyway. So it wasn't that there was, it was, it was a huge thing that I was going to miss. So um, many months went down the line and I think about eight months after, this was in 2011, um, I got a, I got a um, text message on my phone. Um, Hi, Inkiruka, please, can you help me um, sort out my DSTV? The smart code number is this, 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 this. My wife and my children don't have access, and they, there's a station that they need to watch. It was a very short, brief text message, basically wanting me to help. My office used to be on TMU survey, just opposite the DSTV um office then and i was on my break so i didn't even bother to call the person now for anyone to send me text message with a proper description of what they wanted me to do knows that my office was on tmu savage and knows that i was right in front of the stv yeah. office you know so <clears throat> excuse me i just crossed that crossed over did the you know what i needed to do because in the message the person also said i was going in for a board meeting that he was going in for a board meeting he or she at this point. I didn't know who he was. So I just crossed over, did it. Children can't be waiting to watch a program on TV. And then you, you, you want to ask or confirm who the person is. I just went over, did it. It took me less than 30 seconds, one minute. I was done and out of that place. So I sent a text message and said, oh, that it has been done. Please confirm um, from your wife and kids if they can view the channels. And then the person came back and said, thank you. They've confirmed. So, I mean, that was the end. I didn't read any meaning to it. About 4, 4.54 that evening, the security guy calls my office upstairs and says that um, I have someone downstairs who's here for me. I said I'm not expecting anyone because I have a very tight calendar schedule that I run. And so if I was going to see anyone, it would have been on my calendar. 
um, I, I wasn't expecting anyone. So I told him to um, dismiss the person because I wasn't expecting anyone. And I was just running off to go home. He called me back and said, the person is, says he's here to pick me to go home. You know, so I asked my close friends, did you guys arrange any surprise person to take me home or anything? Everybody says no and all. So I go downstairs and lo and behold, it's this person, this guy that used to be my friend that I found out that was married, that I'd run away from and banned and barred his, you know, his phone number from me. And he says, oh, Nkiruka, thank you so much for helping me out this morning. I was really stuck in between a lot of things and I knew that I couldn't drive down to help. And you were the only one that came to mind. I said, oh my God, I didn't even know that it was you. You know, maybe I would have still helped out if I knew it was him, but I didn't know it was you. He said, oh, he's here to say thank you and to drop me off at home. I said, oh no, thank you that I already made arrangement on how I'm going to get home. And he goes, please, please, let me just drop you. It's not anything. It's not a big deal. It's just me, you know, trying to say thank you and all. I said, that's not a problem. I, I'm fine. I would just go home. Prior to this time, my colleagues, senior colleagues, female colleagues in the office had, you know, seen the way I was very snobbish with guys. I don't like to talk to guys and all of those things. And one of them had called me. I think her name was Dyer had called me and said, oh, Kiruka, you know, it's important. You won't be beautiful like this forever. <laughs> Don't Lord, be like this to I guys. I hearing that. <laughs> it, was a serious, it was a serious conversation, no? Um, because that time, we were all waiting for staff bus, and there was traffic in front of Tiamir Savage. See, strange things happen, but I, I just laugh at them. Um, there was traffic in front of Tiamir Savage, and there was a guy in his car. His driver was driving. He came out of his car to speak with me. We were about 20-something ladies out there on the road waiting for our staff bus to come. He came out and he singled me out and said he wanted to talk to me, wanted to get to know me. I felt very embarrassed because, I mean, there are a lot of people here. It, it just felt very awkward. And I ran away from that conversation. I went back into the office. I missed the staff bus that day, so I had to go home with the taxi. But I don't like those kind of conversations. So she had witnessed that and witnessed a couple others. And she, you know, she called me one day and she made a big scene in Kiruka. You can't keep doing this. You won't be young forever. You won't be beautiful forever. You know, you can even have colleagues who might want to, you know, introduce their brothers or, or their friends to you. But when they see you snobbing guys, they won't want to do that. That's how many people have missed out on their husbands and all. Oh, please, I'm begging you. Even, even if it's just be open-minded and be friends with them, you know. She talked and talked and talked. I said, okay, no problem. I've heard you. Thank you so much, you know. So on this day when my friend came to take me back home, <clears throat> now it's past work hour, so everybody's going home literally. And he's there begging me to get into his car so he can drop me off. And I'm saying, no, I don't want to. I've already gotten a taxi that will be here in five minutes. And we're going back and forth arguing. And then she comes out and she looks at me like, oh my God, this girl again, we are still arguing with people. Kiruka, what is wrong with you? She literally pulled my ear. She just told the guy, please excuse me. She pulled my ear to a side, to a corner. She said, Kiruka, you cannot be doing this. You cannot. He just wants to take you home. Everyone will be grateful. Every girl of your age will be grateful. What is wrong with you? She told the security guy to go upstairs and bring my bag downstairs. She literally asked me to enter the car. Like, Kiruka, get in that car and stop doing this nonsense. You know, so the guy was grateful. He doubled to her. Thank you so much, Ma. I said, hmm. You don't even know half the story of what is going on. But anyways, let him take me home. 
So I entered into the car and we were on our way home. Before we got to um, the galley Yorinde, he said, oh, in Kiruka, please, um, I need to take, um, take a detour to the Palms shop right and get some stuff for the kids. No problem. You know your children. No problem. I think the first thing that was weird was that he went in through the back gate. And I felt like, okay, maybe because it's work hour, it's rush hour, a lot of people will be trying to get stuff to restock their homes. So he just went in through the back gate because he um he didn't want to struggle for car park spacing and all. So he went in through the back gate and he drove very close to the generators and he parked there. I was on my phone. I was indifferent. <clears throat> I just wanted him to go in, buy the stuff, and let's just continue our journey and just get home in one piece. Um, so he had parked, and it was about 30 seconds and counting, and he had not moved. He had not opened the door to go out. He had not grabbed his wallet or anything. He was just sitting there. So I t- took up my head, you know, I lifted up my head, and I turned to his side, and I said, what's going on? Are you not going to buy the stuff anymore? And he, as I turned to him, I could see, I mean, a grown man. He's very tall and huge. A grown man crying. His eyes were filled with tears, red and all. And he was just crying. I said, what's the problem? Why are you crying? He says, um, I don't know the torture I've put him through the past almost one year now. He has not, you know been in touch he hasn't spoken with me he hasn't this he hasn't that he cried and he said a lot of things that's the reason why he tried to um disguise himself so that i wouldn't know that he was married because he knows how much i hated the fact that you know married men you know would try to speak to young ladies and i you know he, he just went on and on and i said to him we've moved past that now um i've moved on you've moved on i'm happy about that the focus now is your family and your career. And I think you should just put that in perspective and make sure that you, you make everybody happy, you know, your wife and your children. He says, no, in Kirika, sometimes he said some very nasty things. You know what the other people, all, all these people say, oh, when I'm having sex with her, I try to imagine <laughs> you and all this no nonsense. Way. Yeah. Oh and, and I'm like, now you've crossed the line. You can't, you can't say that. But when he, when he said that, he started getting angry. I, I don't know how to describe it. So I getting angry, like the tone of his voice was a bit elevated. So I got a bit, I chuckled a bit, like it's not a problem. Yeah. I would not want you to be thinking about somebody else when you're doing something as precious as that with your spouse. So I'm not really in for this conversation. Can you please just go out and go and buy what you need to buy and come back? If not, I'm just going to find my way from here and go home. I was not handicapped anyways. And then he started talking, he started raising his voice. His car, his car is, um, you know what they call these cars that they say they're limited editions, they're hand-built. So I, I, I don't know what to touch or press in that car, to be yeah. honest. Um, it was tinted also. Um, so before I knew what was going on, I had I had raised my voice, you know, to say, um, I can't remember what he said, but I raised my voice to respond to what he said. And I said, see, I don't care. Just go and buy what you want to buy and come back so I can go home. I raised my voice and I said that. And as soon as that happened, I don't know if that's what triggered. I'm not really bothered anymore. <laughs> I don't know if that's what triggered it, but I just knew that my, my chair went down flat. 
I don't know what he touched on that side. But my chair went down flat. I was wearing my seatbelt. He had already touched the seatbelt um, holder that had gone off. Before I said Jack Robinson, he was crossing over to where I was, you know, inside the car, crossing over to my side, and his hands were on my um, dress. He tore my dress open, and he said, I never wanted it to be this way. I never wanted it to be this way. I treasure you. I, I valued you. I only wanted it to happen the right way, but he refused. You are too stubborn. You are too stubborn. You are too stubborn. You are too stubborn. And that was it. I didn't, I didn't quickly recollect everything, but I knew that from the time that I gave that response in anger to the time that I realized I was being raped, I'm not sure everything was about one minute. I'm not sure because everything happened so fast. So I'm now in this place where a very huge guy, tall guy, he's, uh, he's about um, six one, is on top of me and I'm struggling. I struggled so much that the marks on my hand only um, cleared out, I think, maybe two years or three years ago. Two years ago, literally. Because I struggled so much, his fingernails dug into my hands and I bled. I was struggling. He finally overpowered me and put my two hands together, you know, above my head whilst, you know, the chair was laid flat in the car. And that was it. He raped me. I was crying so hard because I was a virgin. I had entered into the covenant of purity many years ago um, with my sisters. And my covenant with God was, God, I'm going to keep myself and preserve myself um, this is me doing it to you, not because I want to show that I'm better than other people, but because I want to honor you with my body. And I had worked, I don't want to say worked so hard because my works really is a filthy rag before God, but I'd, you know, done a lot of things to ensure that I wasn't in any situation where I was compromised. Um, I'd run away from any form of temptation. I'd run away from any form of um, um, relationship that would put me in a funny position, you know. Even my relationship that was, you know, broken at the time, the engagement that was broken, um, it was very clear. The foundation of that relationship was that we were not going to have sex or we're not going to get, you know, entangled sexually. And I think that was one of the reasons why I was really hurt that that engagement broke off because it was such a perfect relationship, having a guy that understood your values and understood the things that you stand for and was ready to go the long haul, you know, with you. So this rape happened and I, I, was, I was devastated. I remember that I kept on begging him and crying, please, please don't come inside of me. Please, I'm begging you, don't come inside of me. Fine you've forcefully, you know, gained entrance, but please don't come inside of me because the memory of what my father did to my cousin's boyfriend who got her pregnant was still very fresh in my head. And, you know, I cannot come to my father and say somebody raped me and I'm pregnant. The rape is already one thing to deal with. Then now getting pregnant from the rape is, is different. The rape is another thing entirely. Um, when he finished, he crossed over I was weak. I opened the door and I came out. I came out because I just wanted to run. I just wanted to run away somewhere, anywhere. But as I came out, I, I realized that my, my, my skirt was torn. I had to use my hand and just gather, like closed up the torn places. 
and trying to see if I could walk a few steps. My shirt was also torn. So I was literally, you know, holding my shirt and my um, skirt together to walk. And then I realized that I couldn't even walk to the gate because people were looking. Everybody was, you know, staring at me. I quickly just entered back into the car and I just, with the last strength I could mutter, I begged him, please take me home. Please take me home. As if it was a coincidence, that day as we were driving back home, a lady had called in to the radio station and was talking about um, a neighbor of hers that was raped and how the situation was reported and they were blaming the lady. Why did she go to his house? What was the issue, you know, with her not staying in her own house? Why did she go to his house? She was probably looking for something, blah, 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 blah. So on my way home, all I was just thinking about was, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do with myself? This thing that I kept, I said I was, um, I was using this to honor God, has been taken away from me forcefully. The person who took it away from me is not someone that I can say that, yes, God. You know, I was just diverse. I was just thinking about a lot of things. He dropped me home and I went into my room through the back door because I didn't want my auntie to see me. My auntie is a senior personnel in Nigerian customs and my father was also in the Nigerian customs. I knew that if I had mentioned it to my auntie, that guy would have been dead. He would have been gone. I went into my room. I cried. For the next three days, I was crying. My eyes were swollen. I had to call in sick. Um, to work and I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't face anybody I was just confused I was confused I was I was I was asking God okay fine the relationship didn't work that's okay I started to heal you know and then this from someone who is not even worth it like God what what is it that you're trying to do with me is this how you want to end me is this how you want to finish me you know I I cried on ending I never knew people People could cry that much until I went through that. Three days nonstop, I was crying. My eyes were swollen. At some point, I couldn't even, I couldn't even, you know, find the words. I could just feel the pain in my heart. You think about it, and you feel like someone is using knife, a knife to stab you. That's that's how much, you know, I felt. Um, so yeah, that's that's the story, um, in a summary. That's that's what happened, and then, um. My life after that point, moving on, was um, a different chapter entirely. Wow. So, yeah. So, what did he say after, I mean, after everything happened? What, what's... So, when he dropped me at home, he kept on, because he couldn't mutter a word. He was just crying all the way as we go home. When he got home and I was coming out of the car, he said, it's a, de- it's a, it's a devil's work. It's the devil's work. I should please forgive him. It's a devil's work. I said, please forgive him. Of course, I wasn't going to listen to that wow. sense at that time. I just wanted to go out and just be by myself and just try and make sense of what has just happened. Wow. And I think for that, for the day one, I, I tried to relieve every single hour, minute, second that led up to that incident because I wanted to be sure that this just happened to me. Like me, Nkiruka, how? You know, yeah. He said it was a devil's work and he was crying. Well, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm so sorry you had to go through that. That's, I mean, nobody deserves that. No, nobody should have to. No, should have to. So, I mean, that means you didn't report the incident. You didn't. You didn't tell. 
and you, you didn't try to report no. it because of what you heard on the radio. Yes. So one of what I heard on the radio, I knew that culturally as a society, we hadn't gotten to the point where when we see a situation, we address the situation for what it is without looking for appendages to add to the situation. Um, so I was really hurt that I couldn't speak to anyone at the time. Um, I couldn't tell my dad because my dad is very, when I say protective, protective is not the word. Overprotective is also not the word. My father will go any length to ensure that his children were safe and fine and okay. I remember growing up, he used to say to us, if anyone challenges you to, to a fight and you measure the person up and you can't fight the person, just look for a stone nearby and just target the person's eyes. What? Make sure that... <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you hit the person in the eye and just run home. Once you get home, you are safe. <laughs> just make sure that you are able to target the person's eyes because the person will not be able to chase you if they can't see properly. You know? So my father, he would he was just he was just a he was my G. He was a great guy. Um and I knew that if I had told him growing up, I, I was one of the I was the only child that was never flogged in my life. I was the model child, that's, that's it where. You know, so even some of these things added up to the frustration that I felt like, how can someone be so good and then you get this kind of treatment? I was a model child because I did no wrong. I did no harm. I, was, I just knew the right things to do. It wasn't like anybody was telling me. But from when I, when I was growing as a child, I'm the child that other mothers would tell their daughters, you see in Kiruka, why you not go be like that girl? That girl, eh, she, she did very good. She did very obedient. All that thing. Even with my siblings. My father will flog my siblings. Eh? He never touched me. The one time somebody touched me with cane, my father brought the commissioner for education to my school. <laughs> it, was, it was serious. And what was it? That I wore a wrong pair of sandals and my intratech teacher flogged me. <laughs> it was not for you. It was like, there was world and i went to a public school i went to state high school i went to a public school so imagine that your father is bringing the commission of education to your school because the teacher flogged you <laughs> it was a big deal i've never touched this child i've never flogged her if you think she was wearing the wrong pair of shoes you could have just told her and not flogged her um the guy was suspended for a while because um where he um beat me i had um marks on oh, my body wow. for a while oh, wow. yeah um, I guess it's because nobody has really flogged me, so it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's who my father was. He would go. He would go any length. You know, so to what do you? We fine. So I knew. What do you think would have happened if you had told him? Would he have blamed you, or what, what would he have done? I'm sure he would have found a way to shoot that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, and that, that's why I said the memory of what happened to my cousin's boyfriend was still very fresh. Mm. So he got my 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 cousin pregnant and they came to say, Oh, we want to claim the pregnancy. Now we give Ambele, all that kind of thing. And <laughs> my father went into the room. I came back and shot the guy in his leg. He's still limping till today. Wow. And he says in Igbo, in Igbo land, you can't get a girl pregnant and you have the effrontery to come and say, Oh, I'm the one that got, <laughs> I want to come and marry. Did he come with, That's not how he's did done he come with his family or he came alone. Yeah, he came with he came with one or two of his uncles, but it was it wasn't a delegation of oh we're coming to pay bread oh. price. 
we're just coming to let us know that okay we know that she's pregnant though and my son has said he's the one that got her oh, pregnant yikes. and all of that so my father was so yeah, he was he the insult <laughs> after i've done all these things for this girl then what you want to pay me back with is that somebody is coming to uh, tell me that he he got you pregnant no that's not how it's done in Ebola land when you're marrying off your daughter it is it is a thing of pride it's a thing of joy you know yeah so I, I that memory was fresh. I knew that if I told him that somebody had raped me, it wouldn't have been funny. It would not have been. Funny. So did you tell your mom? Um, I didn't tell anybody apart from my flatmate at the time. Um, I told her, and this was five days after, and she was begging me to allow her to tell my auntie, but I couldn't. I couldn't because my auntie is also a custom officer, and she was the... Um, is it vice president or chairman of the estate association at the time? So I knew that once I mentioned this person's name to her, it wouldn't have been hard for her to find. Okay, so person. why didn't you want them and to to find him? He should have gotten punished. So, yes, um, I thought about his family. I thought about how this would have been for his family. Um, he now has children, and he had a wife. All of the things in my head at the time was. How would she feel? How would they feel to know that their father was a rapist or is a rapist? And, you know, in the journey of healing or forgiveness, there's something that I learned that God taught me. And I, I can't say that I learned it myself because it's only God that could have taught me. God constantly reminded me that vengeance or revenge was for him to do and to do. Sometimes we feel that the actions that we need to take is right because we want to deal treacherously with the person. But I learned very quickly that when God deals with someone himself, that's the best kind of dealing or judgment that the person can get. So yes, whilst I can report now and get, um, um, what's it called, get him to be arrested or punished, but was it going to heal me from the hurt that I felt at the time? No. Was it also going to um, help me get my virginity back? No. Was I even sure that anything was going to happen to him if I reported? No. Because he's also very, he's very, he's highly placed. And these kind of conversations kind of go um, either way of the balance because it then becomes a matter of, who knows who pass, you know? So if I know someone more than you, then I can swing this in my favor. There was just a lot of uncertainties at the time. And I think it was part of that that just made me withdraw, not talk about it, not report to anyone about it. In fact, I only told my siblings and my mom after my father passed away, two years after. My father passed away in 2013. And after my dad was buried, um, I, I said to them, this was the only regret that I had, that I never told my dad about this. My siblings and my mom, everybody was you know, really shocked. Like, what? Why didn't you talk to us about it? And I said, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I, I, I didn't know why. I just thought I wouldn't get the punishment that this guy deserved if I had reported him to the authorities at the time. Um, yeah, that, that's that's basically why I, I didn't mm. move for, um, for that. I mean, so I agree, I agree with what you say about healing, that um, uh, the person who, um, you know, this has happened to has to know that, you know, the, man, the person being punished is not necessarily going to give you healing, you know. 
it's forgiveness that's going to bring yeah. you healing. But you know, there's also yeah. the balance of ensuring that justice is done and ensuring that because yes. I mean, I understand how you feel for his family and his children and all of that, but there's also the fact that this person could repeat the offense. And there's also the fact that yeah. he might not have any remorse because okay, yes, he was crying after, but he started crying before, you know, the act. So yeah. I mean and I'm saying this because it was like, a well thought out plan. Obviously, obviously. And I'm saying this mm. because, you know, in telling people that yes, you have to find your healing, I feel like there should also be a balance of, you know, I mean obviously we're in Nigeria and we know that the culture of society doesn't exactly favor people reporting, but we also want to encourage yeah. people to report the crime so that you know, justice yes. is done. So where do you say the balance is, you know, in ensuring that you report to the right authorities if necessary? Because I think this is a decision that each individual has to make because, like yeah. you said, I mean, thankfully you even had people that could have supported you and gotten him arrested, at least done something. You know, it's yeah. not that your auntie would have said it's your fault, you know, and your father would have shot him, yeah. which to be honest, I wouldn't have been yeah. too sorry about because, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> just being honest but what i'm saying is i yeah. i understand but um i feel like there should still be room for if you're comfortable enough to talk about it because like i said each individual yeah. situation is different and we can't just say you have to report it what if this person is somebody who has nobody to fight for her i mean we can see what just yeah. happened with the debanch case where you know mm. the girl allegedly got arrested just for making the accusation and it's it's yeah. a matter of power play. Thank God that you had people that yeah. you could have talked to who had some power, you know. But it just looks like, yeah. you know, and I think that's one of the reasons why even the men are comfortable with raping women is because they believe exactly. what's she going to do about it, you know. So obviously it's going to take a whole lot to, to build a system where women are comfortable reporting rape because, I mean, everything yeah. from the police, everything, even the legal system is not created in a way that gives justice to victims so it's really understandable you know why women don't report uh, i think what's paramount to be honest is their healing while the rest yeah. of us are, are campaigning to ensure that you know systems are being put in place because i feel like you know i i feel like rape is is like murder it's like you kill you kill a part of the person when when you rape the person, and it should be that's that's literally what it, it is. is i you know i liken it i liken it to what the Bible talks about and um, says about the devil. It says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those three items go hand in hand. When you steal something from someone that is irreplaceable, what you've done is you've caused a death in that part of the person. And it, so, so when people say or talk about rape and they make it, they make it, um, they make a joke of it. I, I look at them and I laugh and I say to them that you, you only can't understand it until you've been in the position where this has been taken away from you and note it's not even about being a virgin or not it's just the fact that this thing sex sex is spiritual sex is not something that anybody should toil with so you're taking this thing designed by god and you've made it to because i mean rape is a selfish act it is and because you strip the person so, of so, dignity and it just it makes, exactly it makes no no sense you can find somebody At to have all. sex with you if you I mean, want to. There are, load, you know? there are loads of people who are willing yeah, to offer so themselves. Yeah, why take it from somebody you know, by force? Sex. It makes, you know, and as, like so I said, it's, it's like a power play thing. Like, what's she going yeah. to do about it, basically? It's, it's sad, but I'm, I'm, I really, I really um, 
understand when you say you take something away from you you, you literally kill the person yeah. in that place not everyone that has gone through a rape um, situation survives from it many people die permanently when it comes yeah, to because you know, they're in their trauma their sexual lives yeah I yes think, i think people, it's because many people you have you know you have a spiritual side and you you know you have i think that's the amazing thing about about god and christianity is that god mm. really wants you to heal you know because he knows that you can hold this person you know you can hold a grudge and this yeah. person who you're holding grudge against is feeling nothing it's like they're harming you the second time around because yeah they don't even know you know the bitterness only hurts you and it and this is why people say forgive don't forgive because the person deserves it you forgive because you deserve it mm. you know so i think yes. that's that has made it easy for you is that because you're you're a spiritual person you know and god does not want you to hold on to your wounds forever which is why you know yes but for people who don't even have that option who don't know it's an option you know my mom mm. told me about a friend of hers who was raped and that even when she saw her to recently this person was raped in secondary school my mother is over 60 and her friend was raped in secondary and she said up until when she saw the woman you know recently that her hair was falling out that her hair was still falling out i have friends who you know have told me about you know being sexually abused and it just really messes with people's lives and that is why like it needs to be heavily punished you know, and yeah. obviously, I agree with you. Yeah, it should be reported. In fact, it, it should. And I, after this whole thing has happened, I I saw the need uh, many years after, you know, to hold him accountable because I felt like, what if there is another young person that he has probably you know done this to that wouldn't have been able to speak up. Um, I I felt I felt like there was a need to have called him out and you know reported him um at some case so if i had to take my steps retrace my steps back in perspective and sorry in hindsight i think that i would have been able to um gather the strength that i needed and make the appropriate um report at the time yeah so i mean how are you able to can you just take us through your healing because i mean this conversation about is about the journey to healing because i mean that's yeah. that's what is within our control really um yeah. it's unfortunate that things are the way they are and you know women are at risk as they are but this is this journey did not start you know the system wasn't built in a day so for us to fix it is going to take a while but we can you know encourage people on how if this has happened this we hope it doesn't but if it does happen this is how you can find your healing this is how you can you know, kind of move past it basically and just draw strength so can you share how how did you start your healing journey how how were you able to get to this point where you can't even share your story without shame you know yeah um so i think for me i had gone through a couple of um when i say heartbreak situations so when when this happened i just felt like ah now, wow, uh, this is like the height of it all. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's anything left again, you know, of my heart to to deal with or to manage, you know, this season with. Um, now, because I'd taken a cov, I'd entered into a covenant of purity with God. I I felt like God, if I'd kept myself, preserved myself, you know, up until this point, and this happened, then maybe this whole standing or living right before you maybe it didn't really matter to you maybe it's not really important to you you know so I'm like well let me just live my life and just you know enjoy <laughs> myself 
you know so i i i i ran away from god like i mean who says that but yeah i ran away from god i i was so free open-minded you know this guy had said oh i had a lot of principle i remember a friend of mine i had known for over five years i have i had never given him a full hug never when he mentioned that to me and he said you know you've never hugged me fully i said oh wow really you know I've, I've built myself unconsciously that I don't even know when these things happen, you know, again. I was so open. I called him. I said, what's up? Where are you, please? I'm at home. I'd like you to come over. I want to have sex with you. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're mad. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> Did they tell you that you should find one young guy you use for jazz <laughs> and all of that? You know, but I was, I was that open. This is me that never talked about this kind of things. I was that open. Anyone that wanted to make an attempt or whatever, I would. But you see how God just does these things. See, all this period where I was open to do rubbish, eh? God protected me. God shielded me. I cannot explain. Because with the level of exposure that I gave to myself then, I felt like ah, maybe I would have, my body count would have gotten to maybe like 67 or 70. I would have just been sleeping with random guys. But God, it was like God just sent everybody away. Like, I was so shielded in that time. Ah, somebody would say, oh, I'm having a party here. I will say, oh, let me go for a party. Me that I'm a church guy. I've never gone to a club. I've never attended anything before. You know, even in my 30s, when I say it to people, people are like, ah, Kirika, but you look like a surgic kind of babe and all of that. But God shielded me so much. You know, so I had given myself, and I was just frustrated that, ah, why can't I just do this thing now? Why, why is it now hard, you know, now that I really want to do it? Why is it so hard? And then I got tired of, you know, trying to be rebellious, running away, disobedient, and all of that. And one day I was just, I was just tired. You know, when you expend energy to try to do something and you're not seeing results, you will get frustrated. I got frustrated. And I, I, one day I just broke down in my room. And I just said to God, God, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of running. I'm tired. You know, it was so bad. I told my pastor in church um, when that thing happened that I, I can't lead worship anymore. I can't, I can't sing, you know, in church because I'm, I'm a singer. I'm a worship leader. I can't sing. I can't do anything that I don't want. They should please exchange all my slot on the rotor with someone else because I cannot sing, you know. Mm. I was tired of running. I was tired of being rebellious. Then I broke down and I just told God that I give up. I give up. I'm, I'm tired of trying to heal my pain with the coatings or the toppings of earthly pleasures. I was tired of trying to sort out myself myself. And it was one of the realest truths that God brought to me. Um, when he did talk about um, all things working together for my good. So all things are working together. It means there's someone who's responsible for ensuring that all of these things are working together. The permutations and the combinations should be right. The situations and the people involved should be right. So it can bring out this result. So it means that I'm not responsible for myself. And the moment I realized that the responsibility for my outcome did not lie on me, but it was on God. And so I, I had to depend on God and walk in accordance to his will and his way for me. 
it was like the burden was lifted off my head. So I no longer saw my self-righteousness. Let me put it that way, because when people say, oh, I'm a virgin, I'm married as a virgin, there's a lot of self-righteousness in it. It's not about you just marrying as a virgin. What, is, what did it mean to you with God? Because God is the ultimate one that we have to submit. When he says we should present our bodies as living sacrifices, the subject matter of that is God. Present your, your body as a living sacrifice unto God. So it's not just that, oh, I'm a living sacrifice, I'm pure, I'm a virgin because of man. No, it's God. So I realized that and I, in my surrendering to him, I asked him to give me the strength and the grace to be able to walk this journey of healing with him. Um, so one of the things that I did, and I shared this very recently when I spoke with a group of women, um, the first thing was I defined my pain. Now, because I had been hurt very often in just a, um, a few years, I, I realized I was hurting from different places. Um, so I hadn't dealt with the pain of the emotional, you know, heartbreak that I had. And then I then had this, you know, rape issue. So I defined the pain and I took time to break down each of the situations that had happened in my life and what, um, the, who, who was, who was, who was taking responsibility for it and how I was going to be able to move on from each of them. So I defined the pain and then I, um, I went on an emotional retreat at that time and I started speaking to each pain. I started addressing each pain. I literally would tell myself sometimes when I was dealing with the emotional pain, oh, in Kiruka, you are beautiful. In Kiruka, you are precious. You are wanted you are highly sought after you i was speaking words of reassurance to the pain or to the hurt that i felt because i i wanted to get back to who i was you know um even with um the relationship i also um i dealt with it head on so i wasn't trying to um hide anything i was very honest with everything where i took where um i cost whatever i took responsibility for it and i forgave myself so first thing i did was i, I defined my pain and then the second thing was that i expressed my pain um all of my life people have always known me to be a strong woman and i used to feel like oh my strength is my weakness because when everybody is crying and upset i'm the strong one trying to console everybody everything will be okay and all of that so even when i was hurting it was hard for me to express you know that pain um, so one of the things that I did was I expressed my pain. The days that I would cry, hmm, I would cry so hard. And I was just crying because I needed to let God know that I'm not trying to bottle up. I'm not trying to prove a point to anybody that I was a strong woman. I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm just shattered. And I wanted him to really know how I was feeling. So on those days when I would cry, I'll tell God, God, I'm going through so much pain. I'm broken. I'm shattered. I can't believe that this is happening to me. I can't believe that this happened to me. Please, Lord, heal my broken heart. Heal my broken heart. I'm not trying to, it's not fating it. Yeah. It's being real before God because I knew that I could not come out before me. I can't before me before God. He's my, he knows me in and out, you know? So I, I expressed my, my pain, <clears throat> excuse me. And then somehow when I wasn't crying and I needed to, you know, express some things. I started keeping journals. I started writing. Um, I started um, 
writing poems, I started writing songs, I started writing articles, and all of this centered around um, what was going on at that time in my life. And I found that, that the more I expressed um, these things, the more one layer of my heart, of my being was being, you know, expressed and opened, you know, afresh. And I was very relieved um, with that. So I, I forgive myself. And I think this is the bit where <clears throat> a lot of people struggle. I forgived myself um, for the places where for many years when the rape happened, I kept on saying to myself that um, if I didn't go home with him, I probably wouldn't have been raped. I didn't forgive the woman that pressured me into going with him. For many years, I still felt like if I didn't listen to this woman, if I had insisted, if I had fought, I probably wouldn't have, you know. So in defining my pain, I understood some of the um, situations that had led to this and where I took responsibility for. I, I looked myself in the mirror and I said in Kiruka, I forgive you. I forgive you for the mistakes you've made. I forgive you for the hurt you've brought on yourself. I forgive you for the wrong choices you've made. I forgive you. I, I forgave myself. And I said it over and over as much as I could remember. I literally forgave myself. And I called the woman up and I t explained to her what I had felt also. I also forgave her. In this period, I also forgave this person. Um, I, called, I called him many years after. And I told him what God had said to me to do. God asked me to call him because on the day that that rape happened, I cursed him. I cursed him. I cursed his family. And not to sound Christianese, but I know that I'm a prophetess. And what I say happens. In my pain, I was really asking God that, will the pain of the curse or the, the burden of the curse, would it be better for him to live through it? Or let's just find a, a better way to deal with him. And that's where God kept on reminding me about vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. I didn't even know that that was in the scripture, you know, until I looked that up in that period. So I called him and I told him God asked me to do this. Not because if it was me, my normal sense is... <laughs> It's, it's not me that would have done it though, because, and that's the thing, when when you when you're working or you're doing living your life for God, see, it's no longer about you, because some things that you do would will definitely sound stupid, because I know that me in my right senses I would not have called him for any reason. Um, so when God asked me to call him, I argued with God for many days until God asked one of my senior pastors. She called me. This was 10 p.m. I said, in Kiruka, God told me that he's asked you to do something and you're stalling on it. He said you should do it before midnight today so that you don't reap the consequences of it. He wants to He wants to fight for you, but he needs you to hand off so he can fight because God is right. He's, God is righteous and God is just. Ha! This woman knows nothing about what happened. She knows nothing. It was too clear an instruction for me. Immediately, I asked God for forgiveness. I picked up my phone. I called him. And, you know, I prayed that prayer over him. And I felt a huge sense of relief. I know people say these things. But 
it's only when you carry a burden, you know, in your heart and you finally, you know, put it down at the feet of Jesus that you understand what it means to be liberated. I was, I was truly free. And, you know, it was from this point that it now became clearer to me why this journey had happened. It became clearer to me why this thing had happened. The lessons from me started getting clearer and clearer to me. So I forgave myself. And then I stopped playing the victim in all of these things. Um, and then one of the things that I also ensured was that I didn't let the pain define me. So I wasn't the raped girl or I wasn't the rape victim. I was in Kiruka. And from that moment on, I decided to ensure that the brand in Kiruka, because I always say that I'm a brand, and every daughter of God, every daughter of Zion is a brand. You're a brand that God has put here on earth for a purpose. And every one of us has um, a purpose that needs to be actualized. So I didn't let the pain define me. I instead took the lessons from the pain and rebranded myself, rebranded who Inkeruka was. And so it wasn't the rape victim anymore, or it wasn't the girl that, you know, her boyfriend left her to marry somebody else. And, you know, it's very it's very easy for these things to define us. It, also for people who have gone through um, heartbreak situations where their father have left them, has left them, or stuff like that. Never allow the pain that you go through to define you, because your purpose is bigger than your pain. It's well, well, well bigger. You just need to find um, that hope that you're clinging to, to be able to move on. Um, and then I reconnected to who I was before this pain happened. I remembered many years before this pain, I was the light bulb in any place I went to. If I entered into a room, everybody would know that in Kiruka I was here because I was always smiling, I was always very radiant and happy. It's not just the yellow girl from the outside, no. The joy I had was, was inside. It was so contagious. If I said hello to you, you just love me. And people used to say, Kirika, why do people love you? I, say, I, I can't explain it. It's just who I am. It's the nature that I carry, you know. And then after this whole rape thing it happened, I realized that because of the pain, the hurt and all, I was withdrawn. I don't want to go out and see people. I don't want to be in a place where I want to offer help to people. I was just not myself, you know. So I had to reconnect back to who I was before this pain. And for anyone who's listening, if there was nothing or if there is nothing for you to go back to, see, God says that the thoughts that I think towards you are thoughts of peace. Hold on to these things very carefully. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Another version says to give you a hope and a future. Now, God in his almightiness cannot give you a future of pain. God in his almightiness cannot give you a future that you will not love. So even if you don't have something to reconnect to, Think about the future. Think about where God is taking you to. Think about the things that God has promised or spoken over you and connect with that person so you can move on. You can't change yesterday. You can't, you don't have no influence over the future. You can only work in the now. And your responsibility is to live in the now and create memories that will help, you know, you to be able to move further. So for me, what I did was I reconnected to that person that I was again. Um, I started you know, being myself, finding things that made me happy, finding things that made me fulfilled, you know, and just being me, the happy person, the loving person that I always, you know, 
was. And because of that, I focus on the things that I, I used to do then that used to bring me so much joy. I love helping people. I used to work in about two or three NGOs at the time. And I, I went back to the NGOs, supported them. Um, at some point, I moved to the UK. When I was in the UK, I also joined about three NGOs there, still working and giving of myself consistently to help others and, you know, just make people's life experiences be better. Um, I work in the health um, sector, so it's quite easy when people say, oh, save life and save life. But many times what people want is not just saving their lives health-wise. A lot of people are also going through a lot of emotional issues and also need to be saved or helped in that. So I was just, people used to call me Minister of Joy. I just wanted to make someone smile. If I made one or two people smile every day, I was made for that day. And so that used to be my mantra. That is still my mantra, you know, every day that I, you know, go out. And then I shared this joy with everyone that I could. And then lastly, of course, you can't do any of these things without God. Um, so I, my relationship with God was very, very critical for me. There was never a day that went by that I didn't communicate with God. And again, not to sound, sound Christianese. It's not just the routine of carrying Bible, sitting down, looking at the Bible, reading one or two things, and say, oh, Father, I thank you for today. Okay, thank you, Lord. Bye. No. It was a constant relationship of every single time, and God helped me to master this art. Every single time, I felt a quietness within me. Like, I'm not in a meeting. I'm not, you know, doing something, or I'm not engaged in something. Every single time, I sense a quietness. I was very quick to open my mouth and just talk to God because I realized that when the thoughts of, you know, evil, hurt, harm, pain, where they thrive is when there's idleness in your spirit man. And so I never allowed my spirit man to be idle. Every time I wasn't doing something, I was engaging. And that's what the Bible means when it talks about prayer without ceasing. Because the moment you start to cease, Every single vacuum that the enemy finds, he wants to quickly latch onto it. He quickly wants to steal your joy. That's how the enemy steals people's joy. He would find a moment in your thought process that is vacant and literally steal it and infuse something else in it. So I never allowed my thought process or my mind to be vacant. Every single time I had a space in between, I wasn't thinking of anything. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you. And I think the most grateful thing that the most thing that i'm grateful about really is the privilege of being called god's own it's the privilege of being called or adopted by god so my relationship with god was you know if there's anything like 10 over 10 i was god was talking to me i was hearing god here ha. i would go to say i would i would um be in a whatsapp group and people would say something and god would tell me oh tell darling thing one, two, three, four. I'll call Valentin. Valentin, God said I should tell you one, two, three, four. Ha! Valentin was saying, Kiruka, how do you know this is what I'm going through? I say, yeah, God, what is this you've put in my hand? You know? And it was, it was, it was it. I can stay in my room and start to intercede for someone. And literally, I would be in a trance where God would tell me what the person is going through. And I'm praying specifically to that issue. I will call the person. The person confirms it. You know? So my relationship with God grew so much that it was almost like I was, I was fearless. I was audacious. I, I could do anything. I mean, I had God's backing. I could do anything. I could go anywhere. I could win in all areas of my life, irrespective of the past 
that had happened, you know. So the, 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 the most critical thing in all of this, in any healing process really, is God. And you have to know God. You have to trust God. When the Bible says that they that know their God shall be strong, that strength, that strongness is talking about, it's not physically, you know, you being strong. It's also talking about strength in your inner man, your inner man. And that strength, you can't get it by building up um, physical muscles with weights and all. It's the kind of wealth um, strength that is gotten from um, toiling and spending days and hours in God's word. So I think that's the last thing I will leave everyone with. My relationship with God was one of the things that helped me um, go through all of these things. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I love that you're giving actionable steps. This is not just, you know, it's not just a mere fluff. It's that this is exactly what you want, what you should do, yeah. you know, um, and what has worked for you. So thank you so much for that. Um, so I just want to ask any final words of advice. You know, if, if there's somebody now who's been through sexual abuse and is listening to us, um, you know, if you had the chance to speak to her one-on-one, what would you say to her? What, what advice would you give her? Um, for me, I think this period has triggered a lot of things for many people. And some people have found themselves even questioning their reason for existence. What I would say to you, my sister or my brother, whoever is listening is one, please breathe. Breathe and understand that you are here on this earth for such a time as this for a very valid purpose. Um, Things might look cloudy now, but understand that it does not rain forever. Even during the floods of Noah, when it rained 40 days and 40 nights, the flood still ended. The rains will end. The cloudy days will be over. All I need you to do is to hold on to the strength that only God can give. Hold on to the hope that only God can give. In this season, if all that you can mutter is... Wow, thank you so much, Inkiru. It's been really awesome having this conversation with you. And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that anybody who you know, has been through sexual abuse can actually find, you know, some actionable steps and, you know, some help and maybe some healing from this episode. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And to everyone out there, please stay positive, stay happy. God loves you. You are valued. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Journey to Eden podcast. I really hope that Inkiru's story has encouraged you and has helped you along your own process somehow. And I think for those of us who haven't been through this, I if, if somebody does come to you with this, it will help for you to, you know, be able to just offer them support as much as you can and just be a shoulder for them. We need to really hold each other up through these times. If you'd like to speak with Inkiru directly, please send an email to mediabyaugust at gmail.com. I've put this email address in the description so you can just copy it from there. I just want you to know that you're not alone, regardless of what you're going through. Please find somebody to talk to, find somebody to help you through this, find somebody to hold your hand and everything will be okay. Take care of yourself. Until next time. Bye.